All right. Welcome to the Critical Alpha podcast where we're talking about some of the recent stuff happening with uh, David Goggins. Um, interesting stuff. Uh, I had to do some digging into what was happening because I don't know if you've seen David David Goggins' recent posts, but he's uh, basically been talking about some interesting stuff that's happened in the background that really wasn't obvious to me as a follower. Uh, I had read his uh, book, Can't Hurt Me, still midway through his recent book. Um, But, yeah, basically he's come out and he's basically talking about the Navy SEALs and the stuff that he's had to go through throughout his career. So we're talking about uh, it's a form of, I guess, workplace bullying, but in a way it's kind of exile as well. And so Goggins basically posted something about Aaron Singerman and a recent podcast which details other Special Forces Service members defaming and speaking negatively about Goggins and Basically, what he said in his post is, I didn't know about this featured clip from the podcast where I was used as clickbait until it was brought to my attention. I called Aaron Singerman, who had this one particular Navy SEAL on his show where they ran their mouths about me and asked him to have me on his... have me on his show that I can answer his questions, not not with lies, but with the facts of the military service record as well as private DMs exchanged with this very same person proving that they talk about talk out of both sides of their mouth. And like yeah, you can go and see the recent podcast with Aaron Singerman. Uh but he's referring to a previous podcast where Aaron Singerman interviews a Navy SEAL or a former Navy SEAL and this Navy SEAL has basically, uh, he, he's been proven by Goggins that, yeah, he's been talking smack about him behind his back, basically saying things, uh, saying one thing and doing another. So he's inboxed Goggins and said, hey, I'd love to collaborate. I really love your work, all this kind of stuff. And then, and then, uh, basically slagging him in in behind his back. So it's, I mean, it's typical workplace stuff. Unfortunately, this happens. Um, So I came across this post and I was reading this and I wasn't really sure what David was really going on about since he didn't actually share the podcast itself. Um, Nor who it was. I hadn't seen or heard anything about it so far, so I had to do some own had to do some of my own digging, and I found out that Aaron Singerman's podcast was only just recently launched, so like a week ago. So I had I had heard of Aaron Singerman, but only really vaguely, and I had to do some digging on him as well. So you can basically go up on YouTube and find out more about that podcast. Just type in Aaron Singerman. I think it's called um, Chips and Caviar. And you can go and search for that. And he's a guy who 
recently was convicted uh, for founding and selling supplements which were allegedly laced with anabolic steroids. Uh, Some of the clearer details are Singerman was a former Blackstone Labs co-founder and he was founded, uh, he's sentenced to 4.5 years behind bars. The South Florida man was founded, who founded a sports and dietary supplements retailer, was sentenced for conspiring to sell anabolic steroids and other products marketed as dietary supplements that were unlawful under the federal law in the US. So Goggins is has chosen to go on a podcast with this guy, I think pretty much to retort or go back against the the actual seal who was interviewing with Aaron Singerman two years ago. So it's quite some time, but I guess it's a win-win because Aaron Singerman's launching his new podcast at the same time Goggins having Goggins has his opportunity to hit back and uh and he does so with uh fact so this uh navy seal pretty much gets uh trashed uh everything that he said about goggins has been pretty much debunked uh and he doesn't look very good now so it's pretty pretty weird situation like to sort of have this stuff happen on social media like i don't know i don't think goggins needed to hit back but I guess he's just had enough you know I guess it's happened over the years and he does hint at some of this stuff but he doesn't go into detail until now and then it's all come out of the woodwork and it's it, it doesn't look good it's not a good look um, it's hard to tar everyone at the same brush I think that's not the approach that Goggins is taking he says something like 87% of some of the seals uh basically lack the discipline that he would expect. That's some, some of that. Uh, he, he, does, he does reference another person who said 87%. He actually thinks it's a much higher percentage, but I'll let you uh, listen to the podcast yourself, make your own judgment. I don't want don't want to discredit any of that podcast. It's a really good podcast, um, and Goggins goes into much more detail. So... Anyway, long story short, Goggins has chosen to go on the podcast with this guy. I don't know how they are affiliated at all, but having listened to the interview, it appears as though it's a way of, you know, helping this guy launch his new pod- podcast, Chips and Caviar, since it's pretty much the first interview they've posted and it's pitched as a response to an interview that Singerman, Singerman did two years ago where Singerman interviews... Dan Crenshaw, so that's the guy, and who pretty much trashes Goggins simply because he hadn't worked with him or knew anything about him. But that's his words, not necessarily the truth, and I'll post the link to this short video in the description as well if you want to see it for yourself. Um, So Goggins is apparently upset in his social media uh, posts on Instagram and takes to social media quite angrily. And he says he wants to hit back at this guy and seemingly anyone else who wants to trash his reputation. So even though it's like two years later, um, Goggins wrote on his Instagram, he said, I have some supposed hero from SEAL Team 6 DMing me saying that I was dishonorably discharged from the military, which is a total lie, along with so many other lies. He didn't know he was DMing my lawyer. So... 
whoever did this uh, isn't too smart because they were DMing Goggins' lawyer. So we got uh, he's got screenshots of this kind of stuff, uh, and I believe he went so far as to. I think he was going to sue him, but then he's pulled back and said, you know, I'm not going to go that far. Uh, I think he's pretty much scared the guy off. Um, but yeah, I, I guess it's a it's a word of warning to the rest of the community who wants to try to trash Goggins for some of these things. Like they've come out and said like he, he uh, didn't deploy, he was only a recruit, all this stuff. Like if you read his book... Um, he doesn't go into depth of the SEAL team's tactics and strategies, but he does detail his career and things like that. And he talks about this in the podcast again, but yeah, like he does debunk all of that stuff. He he had heart surgery and he was out for a few years, which obviously impacted his ability to deploy, but he did deploy twice. So uh, it's not, you can't say come out and say these kind of things about people it's just it's just ridiculous <clears throat> but he goes on to say a lot of these fraternities like the seals run in packs when i found the truth out about a lot of them in the community i decided to walk alone and this is the price i have paid and he goes on to say in his latest post uh sorry that this took so long to come out i had to have legal counsel review to make sure i did not compromise future legal action, which is fair enough. Uh, in a post previous to these two, he talks about how leaders in the military take opinions from your reputation rather than take the time to formulate their own opinion. They take the cowardly way out and accept some, accept what some other person said as truth. And he goes on to say the goal is to make everyone think the same act the same, believe the same and talk the same. So sadly, he says it's sadly it's actually fucking working. Very few have a fucking opinion on which they are willing to risk acceptance of fitting in. So I guess he's referencing the military aligning with leadership and groupthink, uh, which basically means no one questions what's being said or done, which can be a dangerous situation because uh, when you're not getting any collaboration or thought from the team, it's it can be detrimental in its extreme cases. Uh, it, it is a fact of the military and a fact of any sort of group situation, group dynamics is where people naturally want to fit in and in doing so they follow the herd and do what they do what the herd does. And thinking back on my military career, pretty much once you get out of training, basic training, and then technical training, you get posted to a unit. And one of the first things they say is, uh, they don't say it like this word for word, but they say pretty much forget everything that you were taught. You're going to learn the real world here. And it's like true to an extent, you're going to learn how things are done because you're, you're taught from a training environment. Uh, generally the stuff in the training environment could be old knowledge, could be old ways of doing things uh, because training needs to be updated formally and aligned with the training frameworks. So it, to some extent, yes, um, some training environments are also constrained on the resources and stuff like that. So you may only do parts of what you're really going to do in the real world type, 
type of stuff. Type of stuff. So, uh, for example, uh, I was taught in technical training how to do uh, fiber composite layup and fiber uh, carbon fiber, fiberglass things like that. And it's just done very differently in the squadrons. Why? Because they have different technical manuals and there's different ways that are prescribed for different aircraft. So they have different standards and things like that. So I'm guessing in the SEAL teams, uh, maybe maybe something similar, but it sounds as though, like I guess having read David Goggin's book, um, you can tell he's a pretty hardcore guy and I think he had to change who he was to become uh, a Navy SEAL. And he went, he went through buds three times. So he had that attitude pretty much ingrained in him. Like you can't just go through buds three times and not change as a person. Uh, I couldn't imagine going through recruits at, in the Air Force three times. Like that, that would just be annoying. But I don't know if it would change me, but certainly when you're 18 and you go through recruit training, it does sort of uh, rewire you a bit. You know, you get shocked. You get indoctrinated. They, they call it indoctrination. So... It does change you. Um, and then you have to kind of shake it off when you get to your squadron because they kind of teach you in a way to, you know, really uh, idolize the corporal sergeant level. But when you get to the real world military, corporal sergeant uh, just pretty much like supervisor manager. Like they're, you know, you're pretty close to them. You work, work in with them. They sometimes get, get on the tools, uh, things like that. So like the... They're not to be feared. They're not like you still respect your peers and respect your supervisor manager, but at the same time, like, you know, they're they're like gods when when you're in recruits. So do that comparison and then you get to your squadron. It's like you got to rewire yourself again to kind of fit in because, you know, you were taught all this extreme sort of stuff and then you get to the squadron. It's not as extreme. So uh, interestingly, the video that... um, that Goggins is talking about. It's only around two and a half minutes long. Um, so he's taken a sound bite out of a longer interview. And that's pretty much where Dan Crenshaw, he, he doesn't have much of an opinion simply because he doesn't relate to Goggins. He said, he said he doesn't relate to Goggins brand and the messaging that he's pushing, which is contrary to what he told Goggins in his DMS and Goggins shows his DMS, which is like, it's kind of bizarre. Cause he's like, He's conscious. He must be conscious that this stuff is out in the media. Like he's done this recorded interview after the fact that he's messaging Goggins and things like that. So it's just bizarre. And mainly because most of the content Goggins pushes on social media, it's not about being an AV SEAL per se. So this is sort of Dan Crenshaw's angle. saying, oh, he doesn't resonate with it and stuff like that. Um, he even says he's not. He even says that being able to run for miles, he admits is tough and not diminishing his ability, but rather he thinks that the man who can run that far after being shot, that's more tough. Uh, He talks about being shot. He goes, I respect the man who has been shot 28 times and he's still going. I mean, Goggins talks about this a couple of times in the podcast and he says, who's been shot 28 times and still alive, like the dead man. I mean, he's he's sort of like uh, contradicting himself. And so Dan hasn't even read the book. 
he hasn't even read Goggins' book and he doesn't really know much about David because he's never worked with him. Uh, so at this point, I'm a bit confused as to why I'm a bit confused as to why David's offended um, and acting so angry about it. Um, later in the podcast, Goggins even says that he found out, I think it was about this seal or the other seal, who was saying things that they had like issues, like mental health issues and stuff like that. So it's like, well, okay, it kind of explains why they're doing this kind of stuff. But I think what Goggins is really upset about is the fact that you know, this happened throughout his career and now it's still following him. He wanted to just uh, shut the door when he left. You know, he just wanted to ha- be done with his career. And um, there's other stuff that's been said ab- about Goggins as well in other podcasts apparently about how he's trying to capitalize from the seals and, oh, he's got that trident on the on the cover of the book. But Goggins talks about this as well and he says, I didn't realize this because I haven't looked that close, but on the book, um, one of the letters is actually covering half the trident, which is like, it's apparently it was done on purpose to basically show that really only half, half the trident is what he's proud of or something like that. Like in, in basic terms, I'm not going to quote what Goggins said, but, um, certainly go and listen to the podcast if you want more details, but, he talks about this and it's uh, it's quite interesting because I didn't realize, like I didn't know that Goggins uh, had these experiences. I mean, he does talk about the fact that he's like the 36th uh, black African-American uh, Navy SEAL, which makes it hard to sort of ignore the fact that, well, it's it's hard to say no one would know him, you know, because he's the minority, you know, um, but... It's it's a, it's a weird situation. It's a workplace situation by the sounds of it. Um, he was also blocked from uh, commissioning as an officer, even though he had like he shows he shows the reference that he was that he received from like a, an admiral level person, and like it speaks volumes this reference, and it's just uh, it's been ignored. Um, uh, the other thing is. Uh, Dan Crenshaw, he's actually he was actually an officer in the SEALs, so it's not really like uh, aligned with what you would expect to see from like a Navy Navy SEAL officer. Uh, but at the same time, workplace politics and stuff like that that happens at every every level, every organization. So unfortunately, there is an element where you have to sort of, uh, I guess, fit in per se. Um, and if you don't fit in, well, you're going to be be flipped, you know. <laughs> um, but I'm, I've been reflecting on this, and I'm going to dive into this uh, with my personal experiences as well from military. So there's two aspects. I'm going to talk about reputation and also flying under the radar in this episode. And I might touch on other aspects in another episode, but... For today, I'm going to talk about reputation follows you. And this is what Goggins was talking about, uh, where leaders would actively seek out information about the person that's getting posted into an organization. And this happened in my career too. It's You don't realize it, but you're told, you said, your reputation follows you. So like whatever reputation you build up in the training environment and stuff like that, it follows you into your career. Uh, so 
you've got this opportunity. It's like a new life and it's like, all right, I'm going to set the record straight. You know, I'm going to set a good example, all this stuff. Um, but basically when I was an aircraft structures tech, uh, there was across the whole of Australia, there's only around 130 of us. So nationally. And so it's a pretty small trade. If you, and, and if you've upset someone, it's, it's going to follow you regardless, um, unfortunately. And in the case of the Navy SEALs, I'm sure with the specialist nature of their job, it's also a small world. So it's more of a niche specialization and probably more niche than aircraft structures. So they say, you know, these kinds of things, oh, it's a small world, um, it's a small world, it's a small world. That kind of stuff, it follows you, like whatever you do. Um, so even if you've given off the wrong perception or the, the perception that you're not a team player, for example, um, you know, even if it's not true, it, it, it's unfortunate and it does follow you. So I was reflecting back on my training and uh, I received a few awards during uh, post-training. Like basically when you finish your training, you, you go through this graduation ceremony and uh, I... I was happy but also cautious because what happened was I received the, the Ducks Award, I received a Commanding Officers Award, and then these things uh, were basically put forward for me to win another award a year later, uh, which was the TAFE Faculty Award for Academic Excellence. And I, was, I wasn't aware of that. Um, but I knew that, okay, I got Darks and I got Commanding Officers Award. When you get to your unit, uh, it's not advised that you go and brag about how well you did in training. Uh, same as if you're a uni grad and <laughs> you got like the top of your class and all this stuff. No one cares. Once you finish uni, no one cares about your marks and all that crap. Um, but especially in the trade world, uh, if you go bragging about how well you did and all this stuff um people are going to just recognize this they're going to go okay you did well in the training environment this is the real world um just because you got some good marks doesn't mean you know the job and it doesn't mean you're an expert you know um so this happens all the time and i've seen it before where people are literally talking about those who got the ducks and they're like, yeah, okay, he got the ducks. He's academically smart. He doesn't know the real world. He's probably not smart with the tools. Well, didn't really work like that at trade training because probably 80, 80% of the training is, it's practical anyway. So to, to get a, to get a mark is basically it's a pass fail and they give you this like blanket mark of i think it's 75 percent. so whilst there are theory exams throughout the course like every two to three weeks you have a theory exam on the practical stuff that also contributes but i didn't get ducks because of my high mark i got ducks by default because we started out with i think 13 people on the course a lot of people failed because they're lazy we finished with five people and I was the only person in my course who never had, I didn't have a fail. And that's with good reason because earlier in my career, I joined up as an AvTech 
I failed that course. I never wanted to go through that again. So I don't think I didn't never consider myself to be the smartest person. All I, all I considered myself was the person that wanted to pass and I did everything I could to pass. But in doing so, I left no stone unturned. I did longer hours. I worked back. I worked through my lunch breaks, um, worked through my smoko breaks. Why? Well, I didn't have the hand skills. <laughs> I didn't have the hand skills that were required, so I had to work on my hand skills. Uh, I de- never really worked with hand tools before, things like that. And so I did what I had to do to, to pass, but in doing so, I got the Ducks Award. Even though I got a, I did get a high mark, but I mean the ha- I think the pass mark is seventy percent for all theory. Anyway, so if you're passing, you're doing well anyway. So it's it's kind of like this BS, you know, like of the training environment. Like people do what they have to do to pass, you know, and the pass mark is high. <laughs> it's not fifty percent, you know. Um, especially for aircraft world, you can't just. I mean, I guess the the uh, sort of theory behind that is you can't get 50% and pass an aircraft to fly, you know? So like, you know, they want higher marks anyway. So the standards are already set anyway. Um, but unfortunately this is, it's a well-known tag that you get if you receive the ducks and you go to your unit and they find out, Oh man. So I never told anyone. So there are people who say that just because you got, you're academically smart may mean, you lack common sense or even don't have the hand skills, which is like bizarre uh, from the training. Anyway, it doesn't quite line up for aircraft trades in my opinion. So because majority of the assessments are actually hands-on, as I said, and the pass mark is the same. So for the academic side of things, that's what boosts your mark up anyway. In my case, I received the ducks by default um, because if you can't, because you can't receive the ducks if you've received a fail on your transcript. So from memory, there was around 120 assessments. I was the only person who didn't have a fail. So it's pretty easy to get a fail like out of that many assessments. Um, people failed stupid things like, oh, there's a couple of 100% marks required for like some safety critical stuff. And people, those those ones weren't hard, but if you don't study, then you will get a couple questions wrong and so there were people that did better than me on average uh, even though they had one or two fails they had better marks than me like they were in the 90s i think i averaged around 87 percent but there were people like averaging a lot higher but they had one or two fails so by default they couldn't receive the ducks so anyway so even though you get these accolades like in the training environment, people don't care when you get to the unit. And like, I guess, I guess relating to these people, I guess people may remember back to when they went through and for one reason or another, they may take a dislike to you or tag you with that academic brush, which actually happened to me. So whilst I tried to hide the fact that I got the Ducks Award, I didn't want to let people know. Um, I was confident, you know. Obviously, I was confident, but I wasn't cocky. I knew that there was a lot to learn, and I went in with a with an open mind. But as soon as I got tagged with that brush, uh, I didn't get tagged by my own fault. I got 
tagged with that brush because uh, a year later was when they announced that I'm getting this TAFE Faculty Award and they announced it in front of the whole squadron so everyone knew. I'm like, oh, God. And well, in the structures team, we've got like six or seven people. So everyone's like all of a sudden, oh, Aaron's academically smart. He's one of them, one of those academics, uh, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, God. And I'm midway through my trade journal. I've got like a year left and we get this new – I think we had this new guy uh, who was a AAA assessor. He's the guy that signs off on your assessments. It doesn't mean he's the best, but he's the assessor. And so that basically, once I got tagged, man, ooh, getting signed off was hard, man. It was hard. So when I went through my trade, I hadn't done any hand skills related work before. So I had to learn everything from scratch. So this meant I had to do the extra hours. I had a good work, which meant I had a good work ethic. Uh, I worked hard when I went to the squadron and, uh, I may take longer to do things, but I do it right. And that's not not always the best in aircraft trade either, but at least I, I, I had minimal mistakes. So, all right. So I guess when it came to posting to a squadron for me, I was trying to do my best to fly under the radar, do a good job. But once that came out, it made it hard. And I guess if you listen to Goggins, podcast you go okay <laughs> there's kind of a a theme here you know like i guess goggins is on the extreme end he's a massive high achiever in what he does um but he's turned up to the unit not trying to fly under the radar and he's pretty much trying to lift the lift the game lift the standards back to that sort of training environment level which is a blessing and a curse because obviously it's good. It's a good thing to do. Um, at the same time, you're a new guy, you're junior, and you don't have the credibility with these people yet. It takes time to do that. And I think a lot of people in the military would say, get some time up before you start uh, trying to make changes and things like that. And I mean, I, I worked with 20 year corporals and they didn't even have the credibility that was required to make changes um, because the twenty-year corporals, mate, they haven't got the credibility. They're not, they're not, they don't have the rank, you know. And in the military, it's all about rank. Unfortunately, it's all about rank in military. So it's pretty. You're pushing shit, shit uphill if you're trying to make changes and uh, improve the culture. Uh, if you're a new guy, it's pretty hard. Even if you're a new new uh, senior level manager it's going to be hard so uh thinking back on my career uh i wasn't trying to make changes all i was trying to do was pass my trade and even that was hard once they found out about my reputation in training which was you would think is a good thing but they didn't celebrate no one not one person shook my hand and said hey mate you congratulations the only person that came to shake my hand was the senior engineer uh, who was like supportive of my career aspirations. So he knew that I wanted to commission later, but I never told, never told anyone <laughs> in the trades because uh, you, you want to have your ducks in a row. And there's a lot of, uh, lot of 
stuff you need in place to get even to the officer selection board, you need to have at least three good PARs, which are performance reports, which is three years of good reports, for example. And remembering back uh, when I f- when I was going through that trade tra- trade journal um, post that TAFE faculty award, uh, my life became hard because people tarred me with that brush, made it very hard to even get signed off. I think I, I think I was three or four months over because uh, I was waiting on a couple of specific repairs to come up. Um, but that was the least of my worries. Like the, the AAA assessor that was assessing me, he just took this real dislike to me, man, made it really hard. Um, I don't know why he made it so hard. Um, I mean, it should be hard, but not impossible. And he bullied me. He made, made life hard for me. Like he, he, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to go into it, but I was treated like pretty much dog shit compared to the rest of the team. And I heard him talking about me behind my back and stuff like that. And just shit that just wasn't true, unfortunately. And, and you know, to the credit of the, the military and the environment, he did get the boot. Uh, he, he was asked to leave before he was actually forced to, which I guess is a blessing. Um, he did leave, which is amazing. But for, I think, a good six months, he made my life hell, man. And that was, like, I think back. And that, that really forged, <laughs> forged like some sort of OCD in my career where I had to basically overachieve all the time. So in a way, it made my standards higher, but to more of an impossible standard where I was like always trying to exceed expectations always, which is like, it's good and bad. It's like a blessing and a curse. But yeah, unfortunately that period of my time, it drew, drew some unnecessary heat and it actually made it harder for me to get qualified. So it had like this spotlight effect. And I guess with Goggins sort of situation, I'm sure he had some sort of spotlight effect if he's trying to raise the standards of the fitness for example i think he was trying to i think he was placed in charge of the pt for a period of time and he basically took it to another level he's running through running people through the ground and stuff like that and he thought that was like the right thing to do because they're navy seals and i I guess he's talking about public perception of the seals and how uh fit they are how how uh you know highly disciplined they are and stuff like that but Apparently, it's it's not like that behind closed doors. We don't see, obviously, what they do in training, so we don't know. But he has, and he's come to this realization that he's unimpressed with the level of training that they have. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, thinking back to my, my career, um, once you get tagged with that brush, man, it's very hard to turn it around. Uh, took me, I think it took me a, a year or so or another posting before I could improve my reputation because I had this sort of academia pre- uh, sort of brush that I was tagged with where it's not true. I wanted to do academics down the track, but I never told anyone because I didn't want to get tag- tagged with that brush. And I did go down that path. I did do like a diploma in engineering, a master's, but yeah, man, I didn't go bragging about it and stuff like that. Um, just because I just wanted to get like 
get the job done, get a good report. You got to, in a way, you have to play the game. And Jocko talks about this in his podcast. It's like you have to play the game. And whether it's the game of life, it's the game of work, sports, relationships, you have to play the game by the rules. And Goggins didn't do that. And that's that's fine. He didn't he chose not to. An unconscious decision, I think. And unfortunately he didn't make any friends. But I guess his argument is um his argument is the fact that he wants to be acknowledged for what he'd done. And he did achieve he did achieve a medal when he was on deployment. He achieved commendation, things like that. And he needs to be recognized for what he did rather than people slagging off and saying he didn't go on deployments, things like that. Like it's just bizarre that they're trying to discredit his name. Um, and he's, he's happy. He's okay with the fact that people didn't like him. He's okay with that. He doesn't mind if people don't like him. He, he says that, but yeah, I guess it's a tough situation to be in when you're in the military, because if people don't like you, it's really hard to get anywhere. Um, because, like I said, your reputation follows you. And it's not your reputation, it's the reputation that people perceive. So, um, thinking back, I was fortunate enough to deploy overseas. I received a commendation for a repair I conducted, which turned out, which helped turn the aircraft around in under four days. Uh, and back towards the mission. Um, for a repair which would normally take two weeks back home, it took us only four days on a rolling shift. So largely from the work I did, but I don't I don't didn't do it for the commendation. You know, I did it for pride, you know, doing it for the fact that you've got the you've got the heat, man. And uh, when you're on deployment there's typically less of you. So we had uh, three structures, trade people. We had uh, a chest full of broken tools. We had to beg, borrow, and steal from the US Air Force, and they helped us a lot to get what we needed done. Um, but still, I guess those commendations, they matter. You know, like it matters when you're on deployment, you know, the things that you do. Um, and this ties into, I guess, flying under the radar it's it's a curse and a blessing so i guess part of the military is fitting in and as i mentioned before that was my strategy going to the trade but i was drawn away from fitting in after i was tagged with that academic brush from winning the ducks Sierra's award tafe faculty award which is it's pretty unheard of winning all of those awards um, typically, you'll get one or the other, like CEO's award or the Ducks. Um, I felt really fortunate. You know, I was very proud of myself, very happy. Um, but I knew that if people found out, man, uh, people aren't going to be treating me how I want to be treated, unfortunately. It's just how it is. It's, it's very unfortunate. Um, lucky, I guess, that people didn't find out until a year into my trade. 
I mean, people don't go around talking about it, but people know and they talk. I mean, it's a small trade, 130 people. People know that you're an academic now, you know, and in Goggin's case, once you once you get that reputation, like one, once you get posted to a new unit, guess what your leaders, leaders do? They talk about you. They, they try to find out what you've done, what you've, what your reputation is, things like that. It's, it's natural. It's kind of like a referee reference in a normal job. Uh, people get references, but in that, that case you have control because you can put forward the best references, you know? So it's, it's different in the military, unfortunately. I guess in the case for Goggins, I feel that he went into the into that situation, guns blazing. He wasn't shy about it. I mean, he turned his life around completely. He was a Navy SEAL basically from uh, a fat slob before what it, what he was. So he, you know, he's very inspirational for what he did. And but I guess once he arrived that to the SEAL teams after all that training and transformation he went through. He was pretty much at the stage where he was unimpressed with the level of the standards that were set in the units. And I guess this ties back to groupthink and things like that. So, And by unimpressed, I mean he felt that the SEALs didn't uphold a high standard like he thought. So he was drawn, he's pretty much drawn extra attention to himself by pushing a narrative that didn't fit the organization since pretty much before he arrived. So when you're new to a unit, like I said earlier, uh, it's about fitting in. It's about uh, flying under the radar and understanding how things work before you go changing things, I guess. Um, and when, you, when you're the new guy, particularly junior, there's a saying, you know, get the time, get some time up, mate. So anyway, that basically means you got to earn your stripes before going and trying to make changes. And it's pretty hard to change a culture, which is already embedded like that. So it's also pretty common to be told, forget what you were taught in training. Here is different. <laughs> I mean, that's that's pretty common as well. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure someone may have pulled Goggins aside and had that chat with him. Um, I'm guessing they did, maybe. He might have dropped some hints, but he's that kind of guy that is like, fuck that, you know, <laughs> that's fucking bullshit, you know, and like, I guess he's right. You you got to st- change this. You got to challenge the status quo, um, but that's more fitting for like a CEO, CEO or a consultant who's trying to uh, change a culture, not for someone who's a junior level person. It just doesn't work like that. Um, I think back to when I was a new consultant, I'd walked out of the organization as a junior and I'm back in as a consultant. Now people are look at, looking at me as the expert all of a sudden. I'm advising uh, wing commanders and below as a consultant and people are listening to me as, of, as opposed to when I was a junior in the same organization, people wouldn't have looked at me twice. So it's just, it does depend on your situation and the role you play in the team as well. And that's just the way it is. There's often a disconnect between the training environment and the real world environment once you get posted to the squadrons. And it's a good, both a good thing and a bad thing because sometimes it may mean that the culture is just fucked and they want you to bend from all the good habits that you forged during training to adopt bad habits, which is unfortunate. Or 
it could be even worse with corner cutting habits in order to fit in and they don't want you to change anything because they're in their comfort zone you know they're happy and it becomes kind of this rule of thumb it just doesn't apply to the seal teams though so i've seen this in many jobs so you don't have the credibility when you first start a job and even if you're in the first stages of your career you don't have the credibility to start making changes and influencing from the bottom up. It just doesn't work like that. Um, unless you're the new CEO or the change manager or have been basically delegated the responsibility and authority to make massive changes, then you put, you're pretty much pushing shit uphill. And what I did see done well was what new managers would do is if they were posted in, uh, from a different aircraft, they'd take their time to get to know the people, the systems, the culture before they would go ahead and attempt to make any changes. So I think this type of approach worked well in the military, um, possibly would have suited Goggins if he took the time. I know he's he's a gun blazing kind of guy, but if you want things to work, if you do want a change to be implemented, then this type of approach does work because you can fly under the radar. Uh, you can get to know the people, the systems, the culture. Once you build that credibility through rank or through social influence, you can make changes, and I've seen it done well. But I don't. I just don't know if Goggins. One, I don't know if he thought about that, or two, if I don't know if if uh, if he's that kind of person that would even just care to do that he just wants to go guns blazing and that's fine that's i respect that too but i'm just reflecting on my experience here and what works so and that's the downside he didn't take this approach he took a more harder line approach which i guess he thought would resonate with the seals and fit with the seals hardcore reputation um and i guess that that aligns with what we see in the public you know seals are hardcore they're this secret brotherhood and this fraternity, um, and I, I understand that, but I guess like all trades, like all jobs, if you're the new guy, you can't just go in gun, guns blazing because it doesn't work. I mean, you, you want it to work because you think it should work, but it's just not how group dynamics work, unfortunately. And if you understand that, you can implement change. You can do things effectively and I'm not, I'm not giving advice here, okay? It's just from my experience in, and from my point of view. And I respect Goggins. I respect what he's done. Um, not discrediting anything because I look up to Goggins. He's a good guy, what he's doing. Um, and circling back to that, I didn't know, didn't know about these situations, these issues that Goggins had faced. Um, it's pretty, pretty scary, pretty unfortunate. And I wish the well, I wish him well. And I hope that uh, if he has listened to this podcast and he has any thoughts, reach out and be happy to chat further about it.